Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. Folks, I want to share with you today, following on from where, where I started a couple of weeks ago, um, we looked at, and, and, and following on from what Pastor Andreas said, there's a flow here that I want us to continue to catch, and I want to build it on a little bit more and take it a little bit further today, concerning what I'm calling a beautiful season of repentance. You know, when God calls us to repentance, there's something in the Father's heart that says to you, I love you. I have so much more for you. And I want you to come up to where I am so that I can give you and, and lead you into and take you higher into places that you've never been before. And for us to do that, the understanding is that there are certain things that we are going to have to let go of. Uh, it's going to take a little more of our attention. It's going to perhaps cost us and some things we're going to have to lay down. But the cost is, is always when compared to the reward of what God has in store. It doesn't feature. It's uh, it's negligible. Um, there was a real sense in our in our fellowship this morning that the season that we are in, when God calls us to repentance, that there's a season of 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 awakening callings and destinies in the hearts of God's people, awakening dreams, some that may have been dormant, or the impregnation of new dreams within our hearts that God wants to to bring us into, that we can see the fulfillment of these. He wants to bring us into a place of wholeness and strength and stability that we can carry the weight of these divine mandates or callings and also the, receive the empowerment that we need to be able to walk in them. Now, what does that mean? Am I talking about big you know, new ministries and all those things? No, I believe this is very personal to each and every one of us, but poignant and, and pointed at each and every single one of us. That there's a season that God, when God calls us into repentance and calls us nearer to himself, there's more of him that he wants to give us, not just for our benefit and for our sake, but also for the sake of the kingdom. Having said that, I want to spend just a little bit of time doing some recap before we jump into the primary thrust of what I want to share with you today. Where we, where we left off last time um, was with the book of Malachi. We looked at the church in Laodicea as written to uh, by, by the apostle John in the book of Revelation. And the thing that these two groups of people had in common is that both groups were oblivious to the true spiritual condition. Um, you know, in some cases you could say they're praying, asking God to do certain things. And I think sometimes in our lives, we find ourselves in a similar predicament where we're praying, asking God to move, asking God to do specific things in and for our lives, almost as if we're trying to convince him uh, to do it as though perhaps he's aloof and he's, you know, he's sitting afar off and we have to try and convince God to move. And the thrust of what I was sharing uh, a couple of weeks ago is that it's not God that needs convincing. It's we who need convincing. We need convincing of the truth of our spiritual condition, the truth of our need for Jesus, the truth of our depravity without Jesus. And we need a real conviction of the greatness of his love for us. Now, the essence of repentance 
is a sincerity of heart that is willing to acknowledge and embrace the truth as God begins to speak to us concerning our lives, concerning our affections, to embrace that truth and to change according to that truth. Any authentic shift or move towards godliness in any of our lives, um, any you know, from our salvation experience to the growth and the development of our character, none of that has come through our own self-effort, through our own goodness, through our own worthiness. It is utterly and entirely the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can't muster this up. We can't make it happen. But we can position ourselves in a place where we can yield to and be led by the Holy Spirit. This is the season or the purpose of the season of, 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 of beautiful repentance. It is to point us and to orientate our hearts to be open to Jesus and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is an initial thing that we do. We make a decision to turn our hearts to God afresh. But it's also a process that works itself out as our intimacy grows, as we as it develops and grows deeper, our carry, we change more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And where I want, what I want to talk to you about today is exactly that. I want to talk to you about the role that we play in this process. Remember, no true repentance can come without the Holy Spirit's working. Uh, if you look at the book of Mark chapter 4 and you look at the parable of the sower, you'll notice that the disciples come to him and they said to him, Jesus, would you explain to us what on earth you're talking about? The sower sowing seeds, we don't understand. And Jesus says to them, you don't understand this, you don't, you don't understand this, you won't understand any of the parables. He says, to you it has been given to know the mysteries of God. But to all those who are outside... Things come in parables, so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not hear, and they may not understand, lest they turn and repent. Now that is a, a, a mind-boggling portion of Scripture, because we, most of us have been raised to think that Jesus spoke in parables to make things easier to understand. The truth is, Jesus spoke in parables to veil the mystery of the kingdom. Because only those who sincerely sought Jesus' face would he sit down and explain and expound these things? Jesus wouldn't reveal these beautiful mysteries to casual seekers. You see, many followed Jesus for what they could get. Many followed Jesus to learn something new, perhaps, but had no intention of discipling or discipleship, of following him, of submitting their lives to him. Jesus said, to you it has been given. Now, he wasn't just talking to the twelve. He was talking to everybody who came to him after that message and was interested in learning and knowing more. What is it? A little while ago, I was praying for somebody. And I've been walking a journey with this person for many years. And there's certain things that, that pastorally, as I've been praying for this person, I can see in their lives, but they just can't see it. And I've tried to have conversations with this person, but I'm, I'm not getting through. I've tried to explain things. I've brought scripture. I've, I've, I've tried to help this person see what it is that, that I believe God is trying to say to them to help them out of their situation. And they just cannot see it. And I was praying one day and I was saying, God, give him ears to hear and give him eyes to see what it is that you're saying to him. And then I stopped for a moment and I said, God, I, I don't think I truly understand what I'm praying here. What are seeing eyes? 
What are hearing ears? We're not talking about natural eyes and, and physical hearing here. We're talking about spiritual measure of discernment. A, spirit, a capability to spiritually discern and catch the heart of God con, and concerning revelation knowledge and the things of the Word of God. And as I prayed about it, God brought me back to this psalm. And what I, what I realized was that seeing ears and seeing eyes is the ability, or, or not the ability, it's the desire to hear in order to obey. Those whose heart is orientated to truly seek for wisdom and revelation with the intent of changing towards it, that is a seeing eye, that is a hearing ear, because their hearts are open to whatever God may say. But those who come with, with, with preconceived ideas or are on their own journeys, they can't receive it. You see, the interpretation of that very comment of Jesus is worked out in the parable. Some have a hard heart that won't even receive the word of God. Others have rocky soil of their hearts. The, the word comes in, but this, it's, it's so restrictive through their own ideas, through their own mindsets, their own stubbornness of heart, they, they, they can't yield to what the Word of God wants to do in them. And so it dies. Others are those who are so busy, caught up in the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. In other words, their affections are not towards God. Their affections are everywhere else. But there are those who truly pursue God, fertile soil, because they want the Word of God. They're hungry for the truth. And they are willing to do whatever it takes to change according to that truth. That, folks, is called repentance. And that is the most empowering thing in the world. Think about it. That we as fallen human beings can take on the likeness and the nature of God in our minds and in our hearts to grow more to be like Jesus Christ. There is nothing more empowering in this world. But it does cost us. So what is the role that you and I play in all of this? It's that heart's desire to seek. If you have your Bibles, would you turn in them to Psalm 24? Psalm 24. And for the sake of time, I won't read the whole, the whole psalm. But I'm going to read verses 3 through to verse 6. And it's a psalm you're probably familiar with. But it talks about this heart's pursuit. It says this, Psalm 24, verses 3 to 6. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? In other words, who can come into His presence? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Now when you read that, and when I read that, sometimes our first evaluation is to go, Father God, wow, all right. In other words, there's a requirement that is placed on me before I can just come into, you, into your presence. Also, it, it speaks of an alignment of heart attitude and, and behavior and actions. Clean, heart, clean hands speaks of, of actions and behavior and a pure heart. Those two must be aligned. He also goes on to say, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. And we'll talk about that more in a minute nor sworn deceitfully. In other words, he's not living a double life. He's not saying one thing and doing another. And then he goes on to answer this question. So it says, Who may send? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does this look like? This is Jacob. Let's pause. Who is Jacob? 
Jacob is the third generation of faith. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is the one who wrestled with God. Jacob is the one who uh, had his name changed to Israel. And Jacob is the father of the nation of Israel. His 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Egypt. It says, this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him. Who seek your face. Look at that there. That is the role that you and I have to play in this journey. But look at the power of it. Those who seek God's face. Now what we're talking about here is an active, real, engaging pursuit. Who seek your face. It says selah. In other words, ponder on this. Think about this. Have, have a contemplative pause. The one who has clean hands and pure heart is the one who is seeking God. Because in his pursuit of God, as he goes after God, he realizes some things are going to have to be laid down. Because it's like these roadblocks. We journey with God to a certain level and God says, I need you to let go of something. I had a teacher who used to explain it this way. God is carving each one of us from raw stone or raw wood, a piece of wood. And he's carving us into this beautiful image. And he says, you know, there's something here that needs to go. And so he, he, he takes the... the, the uh, the chisel and the hammer and he hits it and off comes this piece. And you go, oh no, I like that piece. That was a part of, you know, I felt pretty good about that piece. I, I wore it up on my shoulder. I wanted everybody to see it. It's right here. I like this piece. And so God says, all right, well then you stay where you are. And you say, God, I want to come up nearer to where you are. And says, right, God, I, I want you to deal with this. And again, he puts the chisel there and the hammer and he hits it off. And that happens as many times until we reach the place of where we become convinced and we understand that God, if I'm going to go on with you, I'm going to have to let that be. And when we're prepared to do that, we ascend another level. Why? Because we are seeking Him. We are pursuing His presence. We are going after who He is. Now, I spoke to you about, I said that we were going to come back to idolatry. who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. What is an idol? An idol is not just something that's carved or a craven image or something like that. An idol is anything in our hearts that has a controlling influence over our lives i want to say that again an idol is anything that holds a controlling influence over our lives for some people their idols are their careers for some people their idol is money for some people their idol is their children for some people their idol is a football team or a sports team and they manage and rearrange their whole entire lives in order to 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 prioritize that particular thing and the truth is, folks, that the unsatisfied heart, the heart that is not satisfied in God, is an idol factory. We pursue satisfaction. We pursue in our lives significance and meaning. And when we don't find those things in God because we're not pursuing Him, we end up creating idols because we're dissatisfied. And it's very easy to do that. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is simply the act of destroying the idols that we have spent a lifetime creating. Recognizing them, turning from them, and orientating our hearts once again to Jesus. You see the question, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? It's like, it's like a prophetic call for us to evaluate our hearts and to break down those idols that we have created, to turn away from them. And it's something, however, here's the catch... It's something that we are notoriously bad at doing. <laughs> so we have this role to play. Turn to God, pursue Him, deal with our idols, 
And yet Jeremiah 17 verse 19 says that our heart is deceitful above all things and it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Alright, so you're telling me I can't even recognize my idols because my heart is deceitful. So what do I do then? What is my role? Again, opening up my heart to the Spirit of God who is the Spirit of Revelation leading to repentance. David understood this. Psalm 139 verses 23 to 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David here is orientating himself and he says, this is my pursuit. I want to walk on the path of everlasting life. Lead me on this path, God. Test me and point out in me anything that offends you, that disqualifies me or prohibits or inhibits me from walking on this path. Our need for clean hands and a pure heart are the markers that point us towards Jesus. Why? Because we know we can't have clean hands in our own ability and we can't have pure hearts in our own estimation and our own understanding. We're incapable, folks. The Bible says that the best that I have to bring to God is like filthy rags to Him. You know, when we have that kind of revelation, it's a liberating revelation because I realize that no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get this right. I need to look to somebody else. I need to turn to Jesus. Now let me give you a personal testimony of some things that have happened to me over the past few weeks. I generally consider myself to be a fairly handy guy. I'm not on the level of Johan. I mean, that's that sort of next level handyman. Uh, but I'm okay. I'm alright with my hands. I get by. I do quite okay. But recently, my ego has taken quite a knock in this area. And my self-confidence in terms of my handyman abilities have has seriously been cracked. Let me give you some examples. Four examples of things that have happened in the past few months to me. I get a call from Cristela. One of the window latches on her window is loose. So it's it's come a bit loose. Oh, mom, that's an easy job. No sweat. I'll come sort that out for you. No problem. So I come sort it out, take out the screw, put in a new one. It's just, just ah, we need a slightly fatter screw. Still not quite working. All right, let me go for a slightly longer screw. Screw the thing in. Crack the window. Whole window broken. Whole window now needs to be replaced. Did I feel like an egg? What should have been a quick, easy, cheap job. You know, it doesn't really cost anything now. They have to replace the whole window. And I really felt bad. They were very gracious about it. But I felt like a bit of a tool, I'll be honest. Then, a little while ago in my house, it's, it's summer here now. It's time for me to look at my woodwork. I've got wooden window frames, wooden doors. It's time for me to varnish those. So I had a, a company come in. And, and give me a quote on varnishing. And when the quote came through, I said, look, I realize this is a lot of work, but this is hectic. Uh, this, this is way out of what I thought it would be. I understand you've got a whole crew of people to pay, but I'll, I'll, I think what I'll do is I'll take it one door at a time, one day at a time, and just I'll get the job done. It should take me about a month. I'll get through everything. So one, one morning, I was here at home. I'd done a few things around the house, and I looked at the time. And said, well, I've probably got about three hours, three and a half hours. I can quickly sand down, you know, give a light sand to the door and, and then, you know, give it a, at least one coat of varnish before I have to go and fetch the kids. I thought two to three hours, I'd be done. Well, seven hours of work later, I was still varnishing 
with a torch in the dark trying to get this door done in one day. It took me the whole day. Again, man, I thought this would be easy. Did it? it I got schooled. So another example. This happened last week. As you know, in South Africa, we're having load shedding these days. And so I get SMSs from the church's uh, alarm company to say, uh, okay, your, 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 your power has failed. You're now on battery power or your power is restored. You're running on, on current again. But what started happening because uh, we were having such frequent blackouts is that the batteries didn't have, the battery didn't have enough time to recharge. So about three quarters of the way through some of the, the outages, I was getting battery low signals from them. So what I've done, you know, with, with garage doors here in my house is you just couple a second battery into it. You, you, you wire them up and you get double the power. Once both batteries are charged, that'll definitely last the whole time. That's, that's more than sufficient. It's quite a big system, but two batteries will do it comfortably. So I go and buy the extra battery, buy the cables, buy the connectors. I've got every, I've, I've got the, I've done this before. This piece of cake. So I get to the church and I open up the alarm box and it's a crow's nest in there. It's wires on wires and circuit boards and just, it's a mess. So I figured, okay, where am I going to put this new battery? And I go, all right, I'll put it there. So I take this nest of wires and I lift it. And as I lift it, the panic goes off. The alarm's going crazy. Then, all right, let's, let's, I don't know why, why that happened, but okay, let's, let's just cancel, you know, we switched off the alarm. So I did it again. I try and lift it again. Same thing happens. And now I'm looking at this going, oh, why is this going off? Now I'm pretty worried because I'm thinking, look, if I keep doing this, maybe there's loose wires somewhere that are touching. If I short circuit this and I fry the motherboard, this is going to cost the church a lot of bucks. I, I'm, I'm just, now I'm doubting myself. Now I'm not confident at all. So I phone the alarm company. I say, would you guys please come and, uh, you know, install this battery? I've got the battery. I've got the wires. I've got everything. Would you just come and install it, please? So they sent a guy around. He looked at the system. He goes, oh, you should have just lifted it. Let the alarm go. Put the battery in and reset it. And anyway, so he took a whole motherboard, wrapped it up in tape. He said, this is what, I don't know why this is shorting, but he just, anyway, long story short, he said, you should have just gone and done it anyway. So I had to call somebody in to help me there. And here's the final example. I went to go do some work on just, you know, fixing up a flat place that's just been repainted. The light fittings are very, very old and disgusting and discolored and all the rest. Now, I've fitted many light fittings. I understand the wiring. I understand how to put them in. But what I've never done before is sit, fit a, a light fitting into a multiple story building where I'm now drilling into solid concrete. And so I took my little step ladder in there, which wasn't quite high enough. So I was stretching as much as I could to try and drill the hole here. And then you drill and it's just not going through. And you're struggling and I was struggling and I was struggling. And the next thing you stop, you know, it really shouldn't be this much hard work. I'm really battling to get this job done. And then you get some funny thoughts in your head. You go, you've never drilled into a floor like this before. This is quite a big expanse that you've got here. And you're drilling holes right in the middle of it. Maybe you're going through the rebar. I wonder if you're compromising the quality of this floor now. You start thinking, if I drill any more, is the neighbor's going to come through the floor? Or am I going to go through and drill a hole in her foot because she's sitting watching TV, wondering why I'm making so much noise? And these stupid thoughts go through you. And they're absolutely ridiculous, but they're very hard to get out once they get in. And so again, I'm sort of, all right, well, look, the one thing I did know that I didn't have was the right ladder. I was really struggling to get up high, to drill the holes deep enough. Eventually, I fitted the one thing and I pulled on it and it came right out again. I'm like, oh, dear, okay, I do need bigger screws. This is not quite working. Because when you're stretching, to hold a drill still is hard. 
And then I went down to my car and I didn't. I, I brought my, my my little box of, of extra screws and things, and I've got two of them, and I brought the wrong one. So I, oh, anyway, I had to organize another appointment to come out, and I brought an electrician friend with me because he he is he's a member of our church and all the rest. But here's the thing: I'm telling you all of these stories of things that I've done dozens of times, things that I was very confident in, things that I really really should be able to take in my stride and handle. And as I was praying on Wednesday, God brought all of these things to mind. And he started speaking something to my heart, which I know is very much for me personally. But I believe the message that I want to convey is for all of us. All of these natural experiences that I had communicate a spiritual truth. The first one is this. More is expected of me than I first realized. In every one of these jobs, more is expected of me than I realized. Number two, more is expected of me in each of these situations than what I've given before. So because more was, expect, more, 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 more was expected in the situation, more was expected of me. And the third thing, the third principle, the third truth is that more was expected of me than I had within me to give. I want to read through those again. More is expected than I first realized, so I underestimated the situ situation, or I overestimated my abilities. More is expected of me than I'd given before, so new demands, new challenges that I hadn't faced before. And thirdly, more is expected of me than what I actually had to give. You see, when we had finished with the electrician hooking up all those wires, hooking up, fitting in all the new light fittings, something incredible happened. We switch the power back on. We tested each one of them individually. We're doing our final checks and suddenly the systems, the circuit starts tripping. And it put it on again and it tripped again. I want to tell you how grateful I was in that particular moment that I had an electrician on hand. It was huge. I wouldn't have known what to do. I wouldn't have understood. You see, I knew how to put in the light fitting. But then it's supposed to work. When you put in the light fitting and it's tripping, then I don't know. Then I'm out of my league. And so here's the point. Our failures and our inabilities point us to the help that we need. I want to say this again because this is, this is, if we catch this, it's a powerful revelation. Our failures, our inabilities, our weaknesses are the things that point us to the help that we need. When I broke that window, I had to call the, 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 the window repair company to come out and replace the window. The broken window pointed me in the direction and helped me find the help that I needed. When I spent a whole day varnishing the door, well, the next day I gave myself to varnishing. I paid somebody to come and help me. We got through two doors in a day. Still not much, but double the productivity at least. When it came to my battery situation, I called the alarm company. They came up and helped me. And when it came to fitting the lights and them not working properly, praise God, I had an electrician at hand. I want to tell you, spiritually, we have a willing helper in our midst right now. And his name is Holy Spirit. John 16 verse 7 says this. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Folks, in every one of those situations, I had to call for help. I had to get the right expertise at the right time. And I want to tell you something. I can't tell you what a relief it was for me, as I've already shared. When, when that electricity system started, started shorting and started um, 
you know, tripping every single time we put the power back on. I was so happy I had an electrician there. You know why? Because in that moment, I understood that more was expected of me in this situation than I first realized. More was expected of me than I'd ever done before. And more was required of me then than I had to give. I did not have the electrical expertise to solve that problem. It was beyond me. It was bigger than me. And the truth is, folks, we only engage in the help we need when we recognize our need for it. Smart people do that before they break the window. In other words, don't wait for everything to go wrong before you call on God, before you're looking to Him, before you turn to Him, before you realize that you need help. Start with Him. Allow Him to guide you. You see, we need eyes to see things from God's perspective. Ears to hear His thoughts and a heart that will embrace and welcome His correction and His guidance. Folks, I'm saying this to you because in your life, in the season that we are going into, it's an exciting season. Because as I said in the beginning, there is more that God wants to bring you into. Greater dimensions of His Spirit. Greater dimensions of the life of Jesus Christ in you and in me. But more is going to be expected of you than you first realized. More is going to be expected of you than what you've given before. And more is going to be required of you than you even have to give. You cannot get there without looking to Jesus and without allowing Him to come in and, and, and breathe on your heart and to speak into you the things that you need, to give you the grace that you need. Folks, this is what grace is. Grace is the person of Jesus right there, waiting to help you. He's got all the power that you need. He's got all the wisdom that you need. He's got all the expertise that you need. What does He need from you? To ask for help. He needs us to yield to Him, to open our hearts and welcome Him in and say, Jesus, you know better than I do. You come, you show, and you lead. I will follow your word. I will do as you say. You see, folks, the word of God is only effective in our lives to the degree that we engage with it, that we identify with it, and that we follow it. James, in, in, in the book of James, chapter 1, I'm going to read two portions from James here. He says in verse 22 to verse 25, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What? Deceiving yourself? That's right. Remember, the heart is deceitful. He says, If any of one of you is a hearer and not a doer, he is like a man observing his face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. You see the same theme repeating itself again. Those who truly seek the word of God and the wisdom of God with the intention of following it and obeying him are those who will be blessed in all that they do. You see, James deals with the state of the heart. It's this issue of the state of our hearts. Again, in chapter 4, he says this in verse 6. But he gives more grace. Remember what we said grace is? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the person of Jesus right there. More of his ability. He gives us more of himself always and consistently. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud 
but he gives grace to the humble. The proud is the guy who says, I've got this. I've done this before. I know what's going on. Not realizing, not understanding that in this situation, more is going to be required of you than you've given before. This is bigger than you thought it was. And you don't have what it takes. You need help. Let's carry on. Therefore, he says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Folks, that is the pursuit of all mankind. To try and draw near to God. To try and get every single religion points to try and attain this kind of intimacy with God, a relationship with God, righteousness with God. It comes through Jesus, but God promises us that if we draw near to Him, He promises that He will draw near to us. So what is required? Again, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is a direct correlation with what we read in Psalm 24. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Wow, thanks for the encouraging word, Michael. <laughs> in other words, recognize your wretchedness without Jesus. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. In other words, guys, this frivolity, just going on thinking you're okay, you got this, you ain't got it. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. You see, when God brings us down, and he, and he wants us to humble ourselves. The point is not to crush us or to take us down. The point is so that from that place He can lift us up. Why? Because we are unable to lift up ourselves. We are unable to shake off bad habits, depression, addictions, all these kinds of things. We're unable in our own... We've tried and we failed again and again. So when I try and I fail... What do I have to do? I have to call for help. That's Jesus. And he says there, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Folks, genuine love for God will cause within us a deep sorrow and a hatred for our sin. A, a godly sorrow. A sorrow that is born of a realization of our true state and that we need help. But it's also a sorrow that ends in a joyous fulfillment of receiving that help that we need. God doesn't withhold His help. God doesn't dangle a carrot and then change the terms. I had a boss who used to do that. It wasn't fun. He used to change the terms. I remember once uh, I, I was doing work with him. on, on a, We had the Simba contract to distribute their point of sale material. He said, okay, well, you, if you run this project, we'll, you'll get so much, so, such percent commission. And when I finished the project, we did it so well, we made so much money. He said, nah, that much commission is going to be too much money for you. And he took the percentage down. <laughs> he shifted the goalposts. I want to say to you, God's not like that. He's not like that at all. The sorrow I'm talking about, I'm talking about a godly sorrow, not a worldly sorrow. A worldly sorrow focuses on my pain. It focuses on how I'm feeling. What I'm losing. But a godly sorrow focuses on God. It focuses on what that sin cost Jesus. And when we sit and we embrace that truth, genuine repentance is the result. We recognize our need for Jesus. We are so grateful for His willingness that He came down to do for us that which we could not do ourselves. 
And he paid that price for us to rescue us out of the situation we found ourselves in and the trouble that we had made. Again, Jeremiah 29.13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Folks, this is God's desire. Again and again and again, He issues this invitation of saying, Come, I am everything that you need. I have everything that you need. I love you and I want to help you. I've got so much more in store for you. But I need you to come. I need you to yield. Why? Because if I just give you to you freely, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even seek me and it would ruin you. It would ruin you. There's something in the pursuit that galvanizes our character, opens our hearts to be able to receive and truly understand and cooperate with the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is repentance. It's a reorientating ourselves towards Jesus again and again and again. Pastor Frank said something so profound last week. I really loved it. He said, Matthew 6, verse 33, where it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God. Why? Because there are other things in our lives that do require our attention. Your marriage, your children, your, your, your livelihood, all of these things, they also require attention. But if these things come as a higher priority to seeking God, we've got the order mixed up. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I'm going to end with an example from the New Testament of this. Um, Acts chapter 10 tells the story of a man called Cornelius. Cornelius is significant in the Bible because he is the first Gentile to be born again. He is the first Gentile to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And so he is a man who is a devout man, the Bible says about him, in the beginning of Acts chapter 10, who gave alms generously and sought God. And so what happens is God arranges on his behalf a divine encounter. See, Cornelius is seeking God. He wants to follow God. He wants to know God. And so God meets his level, meets him at the level of his expectation. He gives Peter a dream, the apostle Peter. He's praying up on a, on a rooftop and he gives him a dream. And in this dream he sees a white sheet. And into the sheet are falling all kinds of animals. Now, the, the Jews were allowed to eat certain kinds of animals and not others. Some were considered clean, others were considered unclean. And all of these animals are falling into the sheet. And God says to him, eat. And he says, I can't eat because this is unclean. To which God replies, do not call that which I have called clean, unclean. That's the thrust of the dream. And God says to Peter, I'm sending somebody to your door. He's going to take you to another man's house. I want you to go and share the gospel with him. So, next thing, the doorbell rings, ding dong, and there's a guy there to collect Peter and take him to this man Cornelius' house. And so he arrives at Cornelius' house, and I'm going to just read a few scriptures, three verses from Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 30. So Cornelius says to Peter, Four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and he said, Cornelius... Your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately and you have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And the story goes that Peter begins to share the gospel message with them and suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on the place 
Cornelius, his whole household, everybody starts praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Spirit. And the, the apostles are amazed because the same anointing that had fallen on them had fallen on, on the Gentiles too. And it opened up the church to everybody, to you and to me. We wouldn't be here today without Cornelius. And the reason I want to make him an, an example is because this man showed a sincere pursuit of God with fasting. With fasting. Why do I want to highlight that point? Fasting is one of the most powerful tools to shut up the voice of our flesh, to quieten the voice of the idols we've created so that we can focus on the voice of the Holy Spirit. That voice of the helper who is there, who is trying to speak to us, but because our heart is still locked into and engaged in pursuing other things, distracted from God, we can't hear his voice clearly. Fasting is an essential discipline for dealing with the strength of our flesh, those resistant areas that we keep wanting to put back, the way we begin to deal with our desire to keep those things and our unwillingness to let go of them is through fasting. It's an essential discipline in the life of the believer. And folks, God is not needing convincing concerning our state. God is needing our yieldedness. The essence of what I want to share with you today and just reiterate again with you today is the importance of understanding. God has got things that we need to see concerning our spiritual condition. We may think we've got it. We may think we understand some things. There's new things that God wants to take you into. Therefore, there's new things that God wants to reveal to your heart. More is going to be expected of you than ever before. More than you've even got. And so we're going to need to learn to get hold of Jesus. And I want to say this to you in closing. Many people save up their leave to take holidays. And that's great. I'm not against that at all. That's good. That's what leave is for. But I, I strongly feel we miss it when we don't take some days of our leave just to be alone with God. Don't take all your leave, but take two days if, you necess if necessary. If you can't do it over a weekend, take a day's leave. Sit at home. Fast. Pray. Seek God's face. I want to tell you something. Everything God that I'm sharing with you concerning those examples that I shared with you and the lesson that God spoke to me through all of those things, those came to me on Wednesday this week when I was praying and fasting and seeking God's face. And I understood some things that I never understood before. Some things that I'm trying to articulate to you. Something happens when we give ourselves to God, pursuing Him in the season that we are in through fasting. The walls break down. The, 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 the restrictions and the limitations break down and God is able to reveal to us our true spiritual condition, our need for Jesus and the greatness of his love for you and for me and the wonderful plans that he has for us. Folks, I, I pray that the message I've given you today has encouraged you. I've been encouraged through it because the weakness of my flesh has been clearly manifested and revealed. My self-reliance has been clearly manifested and revealed. And God has communicated something to me through that. And that's left me excited because then I know there's more in store with Him, through Him and by Him. And that's what I want to press into. I want to encourage you to do the same. There's so much more if we will press in and go after God with all our heart. Andreas started this year talking about running the race with endurance, pressing in, pressing on. Because there's so, so, so much more that God would love to reveal to you and to pour out into your life, to experience Him in ways that you could only dream of. What is He requiring of us? A yielded heart and a sincere pursuit. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message. 
For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.